Um, the scripture this morning uh, is going to come from Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And it reads, Then after 14 years, I went up, get, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that, we, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the, circum to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. For Paul, the gospel was the hill that he was going to die on. And you can best believe that he was not going to go down without a fight. It is clear, it is, Paul's clear in the first chapter of this letter to the churches in Galatia that, that this is a serious matter. Paul is not holding, any, holding back any punches. The gospel that he proclaimed to the Gentiles was, was not a man-made message that was given to him by any man. But on the contrary, the message that the Gentile believers in Galatia had received was a divine message. Paul proclaimed God's gospel, not his own. And he received his authority to preach that gospel, not from man, but he received it from the giver of that good news. God himself had given him authority to proclaim that, that message. So here is Paul, just amazed, amazed and astonished. He just can't believe that these Galatian Christians would so quickly desert the grace of God for the message of these Judaizers, the message that they were proclaiming. Paul is adamant. His words and the tone of this letter clearly express that this is not something that they should take lightly. This is, this is, more, this is more than spilled milk. The, 
the Judaizers were perched atop the hill with, with guns blazing, seeking to spread their terror throughout the whole region. This is, this is more than empty threats. This is, this is more than name-calling. This is bombs being dropped on Pearl Harbor. This is men flying planes into buildings. You see, the message, the message being communicated by these false teachers was about salvation. It was a salvation issue. And messages that attack salvation, that attack the work of the cross, are worth going to battle over. Those are the hills we as Christians should be willing to die on. Paul was. The issue at hand, the message that these Judaizers were proclaiming and seeking to spread was the requirement that they were making for the Gentiles to become circumcised in order to be saved. So why so much emphasis on circumcision from these Judaizers? Well, circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. That, that God had instituted back in Genesis 17. God had instructed Abraham to circumcise all the men in his household. And, and going forward, every male on the eighth day was to be circumcised. This was a sign. It was to signify that they were part of God's covenant community. They were heirs, along with Abraham, to God's promises. However, what, what the Jews failed to realize is that this circumcision, that the circumcision of the flesh was meant to represent a heart that was after God. For if God had not circumcised you in your heart, your outward circumcision had no bearing. For ultimately, ultimately, God's people would not be those who were circumcised simply in flesh, but only but those but ones who had been circumcised in their heart. The sign was simply an outward expression, an outward sign of an inward reality. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11 tells us this. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ. It is, it is this circumcision of our hearts that enable us to place our faith and our trust in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. A heart trusting in Christ alone was what was truly necessary for inclusion in the family of God. And here is what the Judaizers were saying. They were saying... That is not enough. 
They said that in order for the Gentiles to be saved, in order for them to really be saved, they had to have, they had to be circumcised. In other words, in the clearest, in the clearest way that I can put it, what the Judaizers were saying is, that is in order for one to get into heaven, trusting in Jesus was not enough, that you needed more. That in the courtroom of heaven, Jesus standing in your defense was not enough. This is what they were saying. Oh, it was an awful, awful truth. The, the Judaizers were attacking the heart of the gospel. And this was the hill Paul was willing to fight for up until his very last breath. And that is what we see him doing. That is what we see him doing in, in chapter 2, in the second chapter of Galatians. I, I want us to take a look at the, the nature of Paul's defense. First, first notice that, this, that, this, that his defense is not primarily about Paul. It's not primarily about him. And we see this, we see that as Paul receives confirmation from the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem. You see this attack of the, the Judaizers was, was so serious, it was so important to Paul that, that we learn in, in, in chapter 2 that Paul received a revelation to go up to Jerusalem to take these matters to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the apostles were. Paul says that he went up in, in verse 2, he went up to that city to share with the, the apostles the message that he had been proclaiming to the Gentiles. You may wonder, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you, you may wonder, is this necessary? Does, does Paul really have to, to go up to Jerusalem to, uh, to, to, to confirm his message with the apostles? Didn't he just spend multiple paragraphs in chapter 1 proclaiming and declaring that he is an apostle sent from God? Right? That his authority is not his own authority, that his authority comes from God? Does Paul really need to go and have his message approved by them? Why the need to go to Jerusalem? I mean, he just argued, he just argued that he doesn't need the man's approval. Because, as Pastor Tony said last week, he got his message straight Jesus. Straight Jesus. Listen, Paul does not need confirmation of the gospel he is preaching and proclaiming to the Gentiles. That, that is not what that meaning is for. Perhaps we in our culture think, when we hear that, we think of our confirmation hearings that we have that's, that's part of our governmental system, right? The president appoints uh, somebody to a cabinet position in the White House. 
And then there's a confirmation that needs to take place before Congress, right, to, to confirm that appointment. That's, that's not what is happening here. Paul is not worried that he may have misheard what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus. He's, he's not undermining his, his apostleship. His, his actions reveal to us more about the weak faith of the churches in Galatia and the agenda of these Judaizers than they do Paul's lack of confidence in the gospel he is preaching. You see, you see, Paul knew that the churches in Galatia would perhaps give a greater weight to the, the apostles in Jerusalem. For these are the men that walked with Jesus. Paul didn't walk with Jesus. The apostles in Jerusalem walked with Jesus. And so the Judaizers were, were, were seeking to say that, that Paul's apostleship wasn't really as good as the apostleship of the ones in Jerusalem. This is what Paul is thinking, that these Judaizers would accuse him of being a rogue teacher, a rogue apostle, that he, that he wasn't one who was under authority. This, this is, Paul knows this, and this is the reason for, for Paul's statement in verse 6. And he says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. What are you saying is that the, the, the apostles that were in Jerusalem, God, God doesn't distinguish between me and them. Neither should you. Neither should these Judaizers. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing for me to me. You see, we, we understand this in our culture. We, we do this all the time. Right? We look for a second opinion when we go to the doctor. Right? We understand what the Galatian churches are going through. We, we give more weight to a person we deem more believable. Oftentimes, there, there's no tangible reason for why we believe that person. We just, we just simply do. And what tends to happen to that, that person that we seek to confirm or the, the message that they give we want to confirm, a lot of times that person is offended. They, 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 are, they are hurt. Paul is not offended because for Paul, it's about the gospel. That's the, that's the message he is under, he, he, he is seeking um, to, to defend. Paul's not seeking to defend himself. He understands that, that this step, him going up to confirm his message with the apostles, is for the benefit of the Gentiles in Galatia. Paul is not offended. Paul understood this. He, he dealt with this his whole life. His apostleship was always, it was always in question. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there were those who 
were questioning Paul's apostleship again, and they were, they were questioning whether or not he should receive money for proclaiming and preaching the gospel. And this is what Paul says. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much for if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Paul's making a case. He says, you know what? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul makes it a point. He, he argues his point, and he wins the argument, and he says, yeah, we, all, we should be paid. We should receive it, but it's not about me. It's about the gospel. And if that would be an offense, keep the money. Keep it. Because I don't want anything to come in the way of you receiving the gospel. Oh, Paul understood. Paul's defense was never about Paul. It was always about the gospel. Oh, brothers and sisters, may our egos never cause us to lose the battle because we are seeking to defend ourselves rather than the truth of the gospel. Promote the gospel. Defend the gospel. Don't, don't seek to defend yourself. If somebody that you are sharing the gospel with can't hear you, take them to somebody else. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. Because it's not about defending ourselves. It's about defending the gospel. Paul's defense was, was not about Paul. It was about the gospel. But Paul understood, Paul also understood the consequences of losing the hill. He, under, he, understand, he understood what this meant. Paul knew that this was a hill we're dying on because to lose that hill, to lose the hill to the Judaizers meant a return to slavery for the Galatians. Paul, Paul in, 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 in Galatians, in this letter, is going to expound a little bit more later on on freedom and slavery as it relates to the gospel. But he, he gives us a glimpse here in, in verse 4. He says, Because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. Paul fights because he knows where the message of the Judaizers ends. It ends, it ends in bondage. It, it ends in slavery to the law. And do you know, do you know what, what this slavery leads to? It leads to slavery to sin. It leads to slavery to the law. And that slavery ultimately leads to death. That's the end. That is the end of it. Look at, it says it in Romans 6, 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? When you were a slave, you were, you were ashamed of those things. For the end of those things is death. The end of slavery to the law, the end of slavery to sin is death. For the wages, the wages of sin is death. Paul had preached to the Galatians a gospel of grace. It was a gospel of grace. It was a, it was a message that was free from the law. It was freedom from the law. Not that the law wasn't still binding because no one, no, no one is seeing heaven that is not holy, that is not perfect, that, not, that has not fulfilled the law perfectly. No one is getting in without a perfect record according to the law. But Paul's gospel says the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Christ has fulfilled the law. That he has fulfilled the law perfectly and we get his perfect righteousness. He takes his sin upon himself and we receive his righteousness. This is the message that Paul was proclaiming to the Gentiles. That, that they were members of God's family. Not because they, could, they had to keep the Ten Commandments. Not because they had to be circumcised. Not because they had to abide by every single Jewish tradition and law. But they were members of Christ's family because they trusted in Christ alone. They were free from the law because they had placed their faith in Christ. And that freedom, and that freedom, instead of producing death, that freedom produces life. It produces life. Paul is not concerned with the slavery part, right? Because those who are in Christ are slaves. We're just no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. That, that our desire is for good. Our desire is for the things of Christ, that we no longer are bound by sin. We're no longer slaves to it. But we have a freedom in Christ. For those of us who are in Christ are considered slaves, but, but it leads to life, as Romans 6.22 says. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Slavery to righteousness, slaves to God, leads to life. Slaves of sin and the law leads to death. Paul says, these Judaizers, they're, they're coming to you and they're, they're promising greater revelation. They're promising to you salvation. Paul says, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. They are, they, they, they are, they are promising to you slavery. They're, they're promising to you death. 
oh, brothers and sisters, this, this here is so instructive for us. That's, that's what false teachers are promising. That's what they're proclaiming. Whether they say it or not, they are proclaiming a gospel of death, not life. Oh, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how great a revelation they say that you will have, no matter how many material possessions they say that you will get, no matter how many things they entice you with, if they are adding to Jesus, if they are saying Jesus plus, they are offering slavery, and ultimately that slavery leads to death. That is why Paul is willing to take that hill at all costs. Because he cares. He cares for these Galatians, and he knows what this leads to. Oh, brothers and sisters, whether it be the prosperity gospel, the self-help gospel, it, it's, it, all they're promising is death. That's what they're promising. It's not life. It's death. Paul says in verse 5, to these Judaizers, we did not Yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Also, I know these Judaizers. Galatian churches, as he's writing this letter, he says, I know them. I, I've been with them. They were in Jerusalem with me. I, I know about their message. I know where it leads to. My motivation for not even giving an inch is so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved among you. Oh, he says not only, not only does this message lead to slavery and to death, so I didn't want to give an inch so that, so that it might be preserved among you, but their, their message is flat out wrong. Paul went up to Jerusalem with somebody. He took somebody with him. The text tells us that he took Titus with him. Who is Titus? Titus is a Gentile. He is an uncircumcised Gentile. And here, Paul takes this uncircumcised Gentile up to Jerusalem to the apostles. And as Paul tells them about the message that they are proclaiming, and they see and they hear the testimony of Titus, Paul says the apostles were cool with it. They, they didn't see any problem with it. If you Judaizers think that I am preaching a message different than the, the apostles, you, you're, you're flat out wrong. For they would have made Titus get, a, get circumcised if that was the issue. These Judaizers are flat out wrong. Why are you even entertaining them? Why are you listening to them? There's, there's no let up in Paul. Paul is going full bore at these Judaizers. 
He, he, he is adamant about his defense. He doesn't want to give even an inch to these Judaizers, to these false teachers. He is constantly pressing, driving up that hill because he recognizes what losing that hill means. It means slavery. Paul's defense of the gospel was not about him. It wasn't, it wasn't about Paul. It was about the gospel. And he understood the consequences of not defending that, that gospel. But lastly, Paul's defense was in accord with the nature of the gospel message he was seeking to defend. Listen, Paul knew, he knew what this message was about. He knew the value of it. He knew the gospel message. And he knew, he knew several things. First, he knew that it was, it was not their message. It didn't, it didn't belong to them. When they saw, verse 7, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. You know, we, when, when we borrow something from somebody, something that's not our own, we tend to take better care of it, don't we? we uh, we'd hope, right? <laughs> we'd hope, right? But we tend to, to take care. Somebody so kind and gracious as to lend us a tool, to lend us a book, to lend us their car, right? We, the desire is to, to take care of it because it is, it is not our own. We tend to take care of it better than we would our own things. Paul and the apostles knew that this was a gospel that they were entrusted with. This was a message that was not their own. This was God's gospel, and he wanted to take care of it. And we know this as, as he is passing the torch on to Timothy, per se, so to speak. In, in 2 Timothy 1, in verse 13 and 14, here's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, follow the pattern of, sound, of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and, and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit. What's the good deposit? It is the, it is the gospel that you have been entrusted with, Timothy. Guard it. Paul always and never forgot that this message was not his own. It was a message that he was entrusted with, and he was to care for it and to, to, to guard it. He understood that he was simply just a vessel, as we all are, broken clay pots, as 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are jars of clay. It's the message. It is the message, the gospel, that is the treasure. 
And it is a treasure that, that, that Paul understood that he was entrusted with, and he desired to guard it, to protect it, to proclaim it rightly. Oh, he saw it as his, his mission to, to proclaim it rightly and to defend it, and we see him doing that here with the Judaizers. Oh, to not defend it, to not watch over it, to not be careful with it would be to show a disregard, to, to not take the, the gospel or, the, or, or calling of proclaiming that gospel seriously would be awful. It would show a disregard for what, for the message that we have been entrusted with. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you know that the church, the church has been entrusted with the gospel message that we are to guard it and to defend it and to proclaim it rightly. Oh, there are numerous institutions on this earth that do good things. But it is only the, the church that has been entrusted with the only necessary message for us. It's the only message that every person in the world needs to hear. That Jesus died for sinners. That is the message that we have been entrusted with and are to guard and are to proclaim rightly. To seek to defend it like Paul, because it's not our gospel. It's God's gospel. And he desires that we take care of it and proclaim it rightly. And you know what's, what's interesting and what, what is wonderful about it? Is that, that this gospel that we seek to guard and seek to proclaim the guarding of it doesn't ultimately rest with us. It is God's gospel. He protects and preserves his own gospels. Throughout history, as the church is attacked, throughout history, as the gospel is attacked, God has preserved his truth. He has preserved it. And he does it through the Holy Spirit. In Timothy, again, as Paul is saying, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How is Timothy going to guard it? How does Paul guard it? How are we going to guard this wonderful gospel by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us? So we are motivated and compelled to proclaim it rightly. Paul's in trust understands that this is a message that he has been entrusted with. He understands that it is a message. It is a message of grace. Look at the first half of verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. As Paul stood there before the apostles and and James, Peter, James, and, and John, as he is there recalling 
the, the work and the gospel that he is proclaiming to these Gentiles. And he's telling them, out, telling them about the wonders that God is working among the Gentiles, that, that folks are getting saved. Brothers and sisters are being healed. There, there are miracles being worked. The power of the gospel is going forth. As the leaders listen to Paul, I mean, they are amazed at what is happening. They're amazed at the work that is, that is going on. And they are, they perceive and they sense that, that this is the grace of God in Paul. That this is the grace, that God's grace was, was given to him to do these things. Oh, this is crucial to get. The gospel message is about grace. It's always, it's always about grace. God was showing grace and mercy to the Gentiles through the work of Paul. He says so in Ephesians 3, 1 and 2. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. For you, God's message of grace was to the Gentiles. Paul's message of grace to the Gentiles, Paul's message of the gospel was filled with grace to the Gentiles. While the message of the Judaizers was filled with legalism. That's what it is. It was legalism. When you start adding on to Jesus, you lose grace and you get legalism. Jesus plus anything else equals legalism. Jesus plus equals legalism. It equals bondage to sin. When the apostles saw that Paul was proclaiming a message of grace and they sensed it and they knew it, they did not seek to undermine it. They did not seek to, to stop Paul, but they, they joined in Paul. They rejoiced because of the work that was going forth because it wasn't a message of legalism. It was a message of grace. And the apostles that walked with Jesus knew that his message was just that. It was a message of grace. Not only was it a message of grace, but it was a message of unity. That this message, that this message is a message of unity. Look at the second half of verse 9. After, after the apostles had perceived the grace that was given to Paul, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. When, when Peter and James and John heard the message that Paul was proclaiming to the Gentiles and the work of God that, was, that he was doing amongst them, and seeing the testimony and hearing the testimony of Barnabas, they extended the right hand of fellowship to him. This, 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 is, this signified agreement that they were now in partnership for, with, for the work of the ministry. 
But perhaps you read this and you say to yourself, but wait a second. It says that Paul was going to go to the Gentiles and Peter was going to go to the uncircumcised, to the circumcised. Does that, does that sound like unity? It sounds like they are separating. It doesn't sound like unity. It sounds like that at first glance. But to look at it, to look at it more intently, to look at it rightly, you will see that the message that Paul is taking to the Gentiles is the same message that Peter is taking to the Jews. There is only one gospel. There is, a, there is only one message, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in and in all. Different work. Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the circumcised, Peter to the Jews. Different work. One message. There is only one way to heaven, brothers and sisters. There's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. How were the Jews getting to heaven? How were the Gentiles getting to heaven? Through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to heaven. That is the only message that needs to be communicated to the ends of the earth. And Paul, Peter, James, and John were in agreement. They're taking that message to the nations. But not only that, the implication of the gospel, the implication of this message is that Jews and Gentiles are now reconciled as one. Ephesians 3, 6 says, the, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That that, that is the end of the gospel. That is the goal of the, the gospel. While Peter and Paul's work is different, God is using their work to unite a people. An amazing work of the gospel. That not only are we reconciled to God, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, but we are reconciled to one another. That is the work of the gospel. And that is what Peter and Paul are working towards. Because God has one people. One people that he is growing up together. As First Peter says in 2, 9, and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the message that unites them together. But lastly, we see that this is a message of compassion. As these pillars, these pillars of faith, the scriptures tell us, are about to depart. They've confirmed their message, they're in agreement. Paul says that as I proclaim the message, they added nothing to me. We're all in agreement that we're preaching salvation in Christ alone. As they are departing, 
Peter says to Paul, don't forget, don't forget to care for the poor. And he only asks us to remember the very thing I was eager to do, namely the poor. The message, the gospel message that we preach compels us. It compels us to care for the poor. It compels us to care for those who are disenfranchised, for, for the lowly among us, those who are in need. For, for This is the example that our Lord set for us, to care for those who were least among us, the destitute, those who can't help themselves. That is what this gospel message does. It compels us to get up out of our comfortable seats and our comfortable lifestyles and take the message to those who need to hear. It compels us to do that. Paul says, that is what I was eager to do. The gospel compels us to love our neighbor. Oh, brothers and sisters, Paul, Paul in this first part of chapter 2 in Galatians has found the hill that he is willing to die on because to distort this message, to distort the gospel message, to add anything else to Jesus would mean to forfeit eternal life. And Paul was willing to defend this message by any means necessary. This issue, this defense was indeed a life or a death matter. Paul had counted the cost. He knew that, that, that storming that hill, seeking to take that hill, he was going to be inflicted and he was going to be attacked. But he knew that it was worth it. Oh, the gospel is a life and death issue, isn't it? It is a life, it is a life and death issue. In fact, the Christian that has in their sights, in their desires, a, de a, a desire to defend the gospel, to, to defend the truth of the message, is willing to die on that hill, defending it, because those who have embraced the truth of the gospel have already died. You have already died. You have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That is the message that we seek to proclaim. That is the message that we want to proclaim that we want to defend Jesus plus nothing. The question is, have you trusted Christ? Or are you still trusting in your works? Have you added anything to Jesus? 
if you've added anything to him, it only, it only equals death. Paul says, don't do it. It's Jesus and Jesus only. Place your faith and your trust in him. Because it's by grace. And it's by grace alone. And Paul says, that's the message that I have been entrusted with. That's the hill that I'm going to die on. That is the message I am going to go to my grave proclaiming. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that we would understand and know that. That that is the only message that is necessary for the world to hear. That is the message that we are to proclaim to our dying death. That is the message that we are to die on. That is the hill that we are to die on defending. Because it is grace and grace alone in Christ. Faith in Christ alone for our salvation. Amen and amen. Let us pray.